This is Revolution at Sea with John Curtis Perry. Episode 3, The Indian Ocean. Austronesians, as we saw, created an awesome Neolithic maritime experience, but it ultimately went nowhere. China, a major continental power, failed to develop more than a regional presence on the sea. The northern arc of the Indian Ocean, at first glance, would seem to have been a candidate to open the world ocean. With the Arabian Sea forming its northern heart, this is where recorded long-distance oceanic navigation on a regular basis began. The sea may have linked the world's earliest urban civilizations, riverine Mesopotamia and the Indus River Valley. Sailors used the northern Indian Ocean long before the Atlantic and Pacific were considered anything but barriers. The Indian Ocean has been called the kind, kindest of oceans, for it is without ice or fog or the sleet or snow of the Atlantic or the typhoons that roar through the Pacific, so active and for such a long time a saltwater highway. The Indian Ocean has been described as the world's most influential ocean. It dominated the first millennium of oceanic commerce. Early on, Sailors discovered the monsoon that swept across the region, a regular, predictable pattern of winds that eased oceanic travel. The monsoon nourished an international community of goods and merchants based upon oceanic trade. Its rhythms encouraged trade and its instruments, loans, letters of credit, promissory notes, and other long-term commercial relationships based upon mutual confidence. Its seaport towns became centers both for the transshipment of goods and the transfusion of ideas. Arabs and Persians enthusiastically took to the sea. Indians for the most part, did not. The wealth of India lured outsiders, and India exported more than it imported. The subcontinent offered raw materials, gems, pepper, and spices, and bulk materials such as timber, notably precious teak. India also produced fine manufactures, gilded leather, luxury cotton textiles, and cashmere wool. Until 1800 or so, India and China were the world's two largest economies. But political power in South and Southwest Asia, as well as East Asia, 
was primarily continental in orientation. Like imperial China, India was agrarian and riverine. Foreign relations were primarily with aggressive, nomadic, or semi-nomadic, continental peoples. As it did for China, this preoccupied Indian strategic thinking and action. And unlike imperial China, India was rarely united. The monsoon, although a boon to maritime trade, kept the people in this large region to a prescribed route. It did not encourage seafarers to venture beyond that particular wind system, also found in Pacific Asian waters. Thus, the Arabian Sea fringe, continuing in its ancient, unbroken rhythms, did not extend to the Atlantic, whereas the Atlantic fringe chose to extend its range beyond its region the Indian Ocean fringe did not. Why, then, did the impetus for oceanic revolution begin in European Atlantic waters? Join us next time for Episode 4, Iberia and Oceanic Revolution. Revolution at Sea is written and spoken by John Curtis Perry, with additional voicing by Jamie Rosenberg, Production by 1623 Studios in Gloucester, Massachusetts. Post-production and distribution by Albert Guichadet-Ferret. Goodbye until next time.